they were the right words at the right time, along with the right actions spoken by Father God through the Son Himself hanging on the cross that day. And then He dies. And if you're here at Tenebrae on Friday, you could feel the weight of the death, you know? But this morning we're here for a different reason. This morning we're here because we believe that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb and that Jesus emerged and he awoke and he arose and he came back to life. And what's more is those 2,000 years ago when he came back to life, he was never, ever, ever going to die again, which means technically that he's alive right now. And as a matter of fact, right here at Parker Ford Church in East Coventry, Pennsylvania, among many other places, Jesus is in our midst because he's alive and he's well. And he's here with us in this room right now because Christ is risen. Christ is risen. All right, you guys are reverting a little bit. Okay. Our text today is going to be from uh, John chapter 20. And, uh, and we're going to read that text and then we're going to go into a time of prayer. But before we do, I got to tell you a little bit about this text. What's going on is that the, uh, Mary and the other women have gone to the tomb first thing in the morning to anoint Jesus' body with spices and, and all the things that they anointed a body with at that point. And they found the tomb empty, of course, and no one was in there except some angels. They go running back. They didn't even the angel thing. You know, right past them. They go running back and they get the disciples. And John and Peter go running. John's a lot quicker, younger. He gets there first. And it says that he starts to believe. But he only believes based on the circumstances, not based on the scriptures, which is an important thing to note, which means his, his faith was circumstantial. It wasn't deep at this point. When we have scripture, when we can believe something because of the scripture, it means it won't change. That means that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what the circumstances are, that we can still believe because the scriptures say so. That's a deeper kind of faith than the kind of faith that has to have circumstances that reveal it. It's a, we praise God when he gives us circumstances that tip his hand to the fact that he's there. And it always feels really good when he does that. But that's a weakness of faith that needs not, not a, that, not a strength of faith. The strength of faith can believe it just because it's written in the word. And John, at this point, he couldn't receive it from the word yet, but the circumstances were suspicious. Okay. And so he started to believe a little bit, like what's going on. Peter didn't know what to do. They come back out of the tomb. Who knows? Maybe they had a little huddle and hugged each other and talked about it. But the guys go back home. And that's where the story picks up because Mary, she can't go back home. She just can't bring herself to go back home yet. Okay? So that's where it starts. John 20, verse 10. Please stand with me in honor of the Word of God. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. And I will get him. Just imagine that little Mary trying to carry the body of Jesus. You know, uh, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Man, God add rich blessings to your life from the reading of that word. You can have a seat and join me in prayer, please. You're alive and you're well and you're here with us today. As a matter of fact, you're here with us every day. And while this is the day of the year that we set aside to celebrate this, we know that those of us who walk in relationship with you, resurrection is every day. It's not even just every Sunday. It's every day because today is the day of rest. Today is the day of life. Today is the day that you call us into. And so today we're doubly blessed because today is the day that we mark on our calendar to especially celebrate your resurrection. But today is also the day of resurrection just because it's today. And so we thank you and praise you that you're with us. You're here with us today. We ask that you would communicate clearly to us, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we've been in this series, you know, the beautiful red letters, and we've talked about the seven phrases that Christ spoke from the cross. And that's where we've been in the, in, uh, that's how we've communicated these red letters that he spoke to us. But that's not really what the series was about. It wasn't about the seven phrases he spoke from the cross. That's not where this idea started and where the, the idea for the series came from. I, I want to tell you a little bit about how we got to this series. It was um, the last week of September this past year, 2012. And we were finishing up, we had just finished up the Corinthians series. We spent seven months in 1 Corinthians. Holy cow, I was done by that point. You know, like 1 Corinthians was awesome. It was so rich and everything, but I was ready to, to transition. Um, and uh, when we got to the last one, uh, chapter 16, we decided instead of just teaching it, that what we were going to do was kind of experience it a little bit because it's one of those ones where Paul's saying, send my greetings to this person, send the money over to this person. I'm going to send this person here. Make sure you love each other this way. And it's kind of this wrap up thing. And what it showed was the expanse of the kingdom of God. And so we decided this was going to be our last worship Sunday of 2012, and we were just going to get grateful for the fact that we're connected to an gen- intergenerational church where there's kids in junior church and there's people who are passing away of old age and everything in between, and that's awesome. We we're going to praise God that we're a part of a regional church, that there's churches all over our area right now that are praising God, and we get to work with them and pray with them and do sorts of, all sorts of things with them, like our Lenten services and like our Netzer gatherings and all that. It's just a beautiful thing. And we praised God that we're part of an international church, not just a, a, a local one. And, and we send missionaries over to Indonesia and wherever else we send them, you know, to, uh, to, to go and do work over there. And, and we praised God for all that. We praised God for the fact that we're part of a historical church that's not new in our day and age, but spans the length of time. And it was, it was a great Sunday. I woke up the next day and um, began one of the toughest weeks I've ever had in ministry. It was a brutal, brutal week. This is the week after Thanksgiving, the week after Worship Sunday, the week we had finished 1 Corinthians, and it was the week before Advent. And I'm telling you, man, it it was like hell broke loose around here. There was spiritual warfare. There was all sorts of stuff. And some of you had experiences going on in your family or with other people, things that were happening on that week. You didn't necessarily know that there was a whole bunch of other things going on as well. But it was like, you know, on church leadership, it was like the clearing house of all the spiritual warfare. And it was like, what is going on? Fortunately, God kept us unified um, in church leadership. But there was a lot of stuff. There's financial struggles. There was critical, critical stuff going on. There's all sorts of stuff just slammed 
him and us on, on that Sunday, on that week. Well, here's the thing. On my, um, well, I have been walking through, uh, as some of you know, I've been walking through the scriptures, uh, just reading very slowly through the scriptures. Um, over the almost, the, it's been about probably five, six years at this point. I've been taking my time, working my way through. Um, when we first when we first came here four and a half years ago, we were in Exodus. Right now, I'm in Romans chapter 13. I was in this morning. Now, we were at the time back in September. I was in John chapter 19. You know what John chapter 19 is? Crucifixion. That's what it is. Darkest picture in the entire Bible. John chapter 19. Darkest moment where all of, of the hordes of hell are levied against Christ, where you can feel tangible darkness as you read the text. And, and here's the thing, is that as I was reading that and experiencing what was going on at church, I was like, oh my goodness, like, it's too much. Why am I in this text right now? Give me something encouraging. You know, but I could also feel the depth of this text and all the spiritual warfare. Well, I also, while I'm uh, having my time in the Word, I also use a journal. And I'm kind of picky about my journal. I usually like a pretty nice journal and a nice pen to write with. And it's always a black pen. And I write with my black pen in there. And then every now and then, you know, when I'm writing, what I'll do is I'll go in places where I've requested something of the Lord. If He's answered that prayer in a way that I've seen how He's answered it, I take a red pen and I go back and I write with a red pen in the journal where He's answered the prayer. Or if God spoke something really clearly to me through the Scriptures, I'll go and write down what he said in the red pen. So that way, if I need encouragement someday, I can look back through my journal and look to all the red letters. You know, and when I'm looking, I'm like, this is where God communicated to me. This is God speaking. Red letters spilled all over the pages of my journal. He has spoken to me. And I can refer back to moments when I'm discouraged and remember what he said. And I got to hold on to it because God doesn't always say the same thing every day. But I got to remember the stuff that he does say. One of the biggest commands in all scripture is to remember. And if we don't remember what God says, we get discouraged because we forget what he already told us. And so anyway, I I write in in red all over my journal where God's communicating, you know. This week, as I was reading John chapter 19, I'm struck by this thing, okay. I'm looking at my journal and I'm like, man, the pages are getting dark. There's not much red pen on my pages at all. It's all black, you know. And what's more is I, I just was reading from John chapter 14 to chapter 18. And if you were to open your Bible and page through those pages, all red, all red. All it is, is Jesus talking about vine and branches, about sending the comforter, about guiding and directing us, praying that we would all be one. And it's just John, like right as Jesus is about to go to the cross, he's just spilling out his greatest stuff. And John's sitting there taking notes, you know, and he writes it all down, red ink. You know, here it is, Jesus spilling out incredible truths. And then you get to chapter 18 and you see less red. And then you get to chapter 19 and all you see is seven red phrases. That's it. And then you get to the end of chapter 19 and the text goes completely black. There's no red left. It's only black and white. That's it. You know? And, uh, and, and, and this is what was happening in my journal. I could see, like, it was getting getting lower and lower, you know, less red. And then it was like, bam, darkness, all just my black pen. And I'm sitting here and I'm feeling this too much and it was heavy. Well, I get to, like, it was like Thursday or Friday of that week. And I I open up the Word for that day and I realize I'm in chapter 20 now. And I start looking down through the chapter a little bit. And you look and then 
little down there, halfway through down, red letters, you know? And I'm looking at my journal and I'm seeing dark letters. I'm looking at all the pages. I'm seeing dark letters and I see the red letters again. And I'm like, oh, how could it be? You know, it was like, of course, I know retrospectively, 2020 hindsight, that Jesus is alive. But going through the darkness and feeling the depth of that passage, I'm looking back and saying, how can you speak into the middle of this? You're dead. You know, like my circumstances. Where are you right now, Jesus? You know, where have you been? This, we're getting beat up around here. Where are you in my life? You know, like, come on, speak, speak. And then I open up and I turn and I see 20 and I see red letters again. And it just kind of rocks my world. And I look and I skip down. I didn't, even, I didn't even go through the chapter the way I should. I just skipped down and I said, what do the red letters say? And you know what it said? Why are you crying? The first phrase that Jesus speaks to anyone after he rises from the dead. Why? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I was like, oh, man. Ah, why am I crying? Jesus is alive. And this is what he spoke into my heart in that moment. Tim, I did die once. And you saw it in the pages of my scripture where all the words went black. But guess what? After that, there were red letters again. And I only needed to die once. I will never die again. Which means that all through this darkness in your life right now or in your church or in your family or whatever, I promise you, I swear to you, that there are red letters laced all through that. It's just a matter of whether you're seeing them or not. Because I will not die again. I will not disappear again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there are red letters. They're there. And as I heard that, I was just like, oh, man, okay, this is, this is it. This is, Easter, this is Easter Sunday. I mean, this is what we got to talk about on Easter Sunday. And I went back through my journal, and I started to, to go back into those days that we had just walked through. And I said, I am determined. I am bound and determined. I will not leave this couch that I'm sitting on until I have filled up those pages with notes in red all around the black because God was present in there somewhere. And I got to go back and find him. And I'm on a treasure hunt to find the living Christ because he's arisen. He rose, and he's asking me right now, why in the world are you crying? I'm there in the middle of that. Be with me. Experience me. Find me. You know? And, uh, and you all have walked through the darkness of soul. You've walked through desert times. You've gone through those moments when, uh, it might even have been a moment of prosperity, but it was meaningless prosperity, where, okay, things in the circumstances of my life were good, but I wasn't close to the Lord. And then you come out to the other side where God speaks. And there's the moment where he invades our life. And those of you who walk closely with God know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that moment when God grabs a hold of you, when he awakens you, when your eyes are illuminated again, and you're like, he's alive. And you feel it. You feel it. And I was, I was just hanging out with a couple of you at a, a guy's group on uh, Wednesday night that we meet sometimes. And I was talking about when we become awoken again to God's presence. And to me, the way this feels is like when I'm surfing and if I'm on my board and all of a sudden something huge brushes up against my leg. That's happened before. And when that happens, all of a sudden the perspective changes. I feel really small, you know, or like I fall off my board and I hit something. This happened to me once. I was surfing. I fell off my board and I hit something and I bounced off of it. It didn't move. I did. And it wasn't the sand. You know, what is that? And all of a sudden it's like the world changes. 
My whole perspective changes. And this is what happens to me when God communicates in such a way that I get it, I understand it. All of a sudden, the world is different. I have been reordered. I feel small again, you know? And and this is what happens in those moments of relief when we've been living life apart from God. Oh, we know he's alive, but we're not living like he's alive. We're not feeling his life. And, uh, when we don't feel it, he's communicating anyway. But the problem is, is that we don't hear that communication. We don't hear the red letters. Well, this is what happens to Mary. Because Mary, God speaks to her. I mean, she, she looks in the grave. There's angels in there. Misses it. You know, she turns around, looks at Jesus. Jesus is standing there face to face. She doesn't know it's Jesus. Chances are he looks different in form a little bit. But whatever. She's not seeing it. You know, and, and Jesus says, What are the first words? He says, why are you crying? And to me, when I hear this phrase, at first it's a little bit like, that's kind of a weird phrase to ask. I mean, like if you come to a funeral and you go to a viewing, you walk through the viewing and then there's the family, you greet afterward, you know, and you walk up and there's tears and you said to them like, why are you crying? Like you should get smacked, right? I mean, like at best you should get smacked. The real question is, why are you not crying? Right? That's what the question should be. I have... Uh, my buddy Jay, some of you know him, he's a pastor out at Cornerstone in Lebanon who uh, we've had some interaction with them a fair amount. And he's, uh, he's an old friend of mine. And um, a few years back, I won't tell you how many. Um, wow, that's been many years now. I went down to um, speak at a youth retreat down in St. Louis. He was a youth pastor down there. And they were having summer camp. And I was coming down to speak at summer camp. And about a week before I left, he called me and he said, Tim, we have some terrible news. Um, our daughter, who was just born, she's been having all sorts of problems and we can't figure out what's going on. Well, we, she just got diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which is a terminal disease. You know? and, um, and we don't, know, we, don't, we don't even know what that's about yet. And it turns out they, they had another kid um, after that who also had CF. And so uh, they have two kids, two of their three kids have CF. Well, when I got down there for summer camp, he, he pulls up at the airport, picks me up, and I get in the car and he's just a mess. You know, like it's obvious. It's just like, it's obvious this guy's been crying for a, a week straight, you know. And he's just, his family's wrecked. And I, and I look over and I'm like, dude, I am so sorry. I have absolutely no idea what to say to you right now. Just no idea at all. And he said, this is what he said to me. He said, please don't say anything. Please don't say anything about this situation. I am so sick and tired of Christians telling me this one phrase, that all things work together for good for those who are called uh, by God according to his purpose. You know, he's like, yeah, I know it's Bible, but man, I just need to hear the like the carry each other's burdens, mourn with those who mourn right now, instead of the trite isms from people who haven't walked in my shoes and who haven't felt this thing. He's like, I'm really angry with the Lord right now. I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. I can't handle somebody throwing me a cheap little trite phrase right now. And I'm like, well, you're not getting any from me. I don't even know what to say, you know? It's really easy to think that in a garden, when God has just been crucified on a cross by humanity, when the Messiah is now gone and Mary is weeping like crazy, that the phrase, why are you crying, could really come across as a trite phrase. You know? Why do you think I'm crying? Doesn't the gospel do this sometimes to us? 
Someone's in a terrible relationship that they can't get out of. Someone's in addictive behavior that they can't break free of. They're stuck in their workaholism. They've been in a shattered family. Whatever's going on in their life, it's really difficult. They're in deep depression. They struggle with anxiety, whatever it is. And then we say, yeah, but Jesus died on a cross for you. And some Christian kind of waltzes into their life and says, Jesus died on a cross for you. And they're like, Really? Some guy 2,000 years ago dies on a cross and that's what you're going to tell me while I'm sitting here struggling with all of this stuff. That's what you're going to tell me, you know? That's what you're going to do right now, you know? And, and that's what it feels like sometimes. The gospel feels like to people. It's like, that just feels trite. In the same way that to Mary, it could have felt very trite someone asking her, why are you crying? Seriously? Did you not hear the news yet? You know? God's dead. <laughs> like, Why am I crying? Why are you not crying? Should be the thing. But here's the thing. This is why it's not trite. It's because it's written in red letters. It's because the one who's asking it is the one she's crying for. And it changes the whole phrase. He's like, Mary, why are you crying, girl? You know, what are you crying for? You know, but she doesn't get it yet. She doesn't get. So he follows it up with this other question, which is, who are you looking for? You know? Which, again, should be like a really naive question. Like, okay, Friday night, really high-profile guy got murdered, okay? And then got buried in a really high-profile guy's tomb. I presume you're the caretaker of this garden. And I'm here at an empty tomb holding a whole pile of spices. Who do you think I'm looking for? You know? Do I really have to get into this with you? You know? But Mary's so grieved that all she can say is just tell me what... She doesn't say who. She knows that he knows who. She's like that. What? Like she doesn't even listen to his question. She's just tell me where he is. She doesn't explain who he is. She says, tell me where he is and I'll carry him back here. You know, I'll get him. You stop with your dumb questions already. You know, and that's how I interact with God all the time. I got to be honest. He's speaking his questions to me. And I'm like, not even hearing it, because I got different questions, because I can't see what he can see. And he's saying to her right then, who are you looking for, Mary? Who are you looking for? And it seems like such a naive question. But you know, have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you're looking for something and you've had it all along? Like you're looking for your keys and they're in your pocket? This is the, this is the recent one for me. Yeah, babe, I'll be right home. I just got to find my phone, you know? <laughs> Okay, yeah. You know, like, looking for my phone. Mary's sitting here, and she's looking for someone. But he's right there talking to her. And so Jesus' Jesus' questions that seem like they should be insensitive or naive are actually deeply loving because he's trying to awaken her to the reality of him being here, of red letters in her life again. But she can't imagine it. She can't feel it. Actually, the only thing that's really naive in this situation is her tears. They're the only thing that's naive. They're uninformed tears. They're tears of deception. They're not tears of reality. And he's trying to bring her back into reality to snap her out of it, to jog her memory. And so what does he have to do? He has to go a little bit further with her. And by the grace of God, he does. God does not always do this for us, by the way. God does not always do this. What he tells us is that there's enough revealed about him in creation. 
before the scriptures are even written, in creation itself, there is enough revealed about God to hold us accountable. In other words, we should be able to experience God all the time just because of what he's revealed about himself in creation. Then, by his grace, he wrote this word that outlines and defines everything about himself. And by this, we should be able to fully know God to the extent that you can know him on earth. But then beyond that, every now and then, he whispers into our life. And he whispered into Mary's life. He spoke to her face to face, and she still didn't get it. So he went even a step further by his grace, and he personalized it. You ever had God personalize communication to you? Oh, man, it's an amazing thing. It's really easy to get addicted to it. And if, you, if like, God speaks to you and you know that, wow, that was a God moment right there, it's really easy to kind of be like, the scripture's cool and all, but I just want God to talk to me that way all the time. Because it's a lot easier than having to dig apart the scriptures and find life when it's like, okay, this is still written down. But when we know that God's present and when we can sense his presence, it's like when that big thing brushes up against me in the ocean and I'm like, well, I pretty much don't have any option but to believe that there's something down there now. You know, and that's the way it is when Christ communicates, when he steps beyond the normal and he, and he speaks into our life. When you see something line up in such a way that ties you back to something that he spoke back there, where you see the scriptures come alive in a way that connects to your life. And all of a sudden, you, you know, some person says something that the other person said just 10 minutes ago and it connects her. You know how it goes. If you walk with the Lord, you know what it's been like in those moments when you said, that's God, you know, and it brings us back. And this is what he does. He personalizes it for. And how more personal can you get than to call someone by name? And so he says, Mary. What? How did he know my name? What? Like what? How in the world did... Wait, the way he said that sounds so familiar. She turns and looks again. Rabboni! Man, fireworks are going off in her head. Everything's going white. Man, she can't think straight. Her whole world is rocked right now. Easter just happened to Mary. Easter just happened to Mary. Because even though Christ had already been risen, it's in this moment that she becomes aware that he's risen. And for Mary, Easter didn't just happen a few hours ago when he came up out of the grave. It happened right now when she became aware of it and she became alive again with him. That's when Easter happened for Mary. Sometimes we believe in Easter and we celebrate Easter, but we struggle to really be Easter. Do you know what I mean? We struggle to walk in Easter. There's this... There's seven letters to the seven churches in, in uh, Revelation where God speaks words to each of the churches. As a matter of fact, there's a journey group that's going to be launching this coming week um, that's going to be studying those. Join a journey group if you don't have one. They're great. You get to know each other, hang out, study the scriptures more and everything. One of them, the one that's meeting at the Gensler's house right here in the neighborhood, is that on uh, Sunday night or Tuesday night? Sunday night. Okay, uh, the, the other Deerings, my parents are helping out leading that. Um, and the Genslers, and they're studying those seven churches and the letters to those seven churches. It'd be a cool study. There's a number of other ones. Go and join one of those journey groups. There's the church in Sardis. When God communicates to the church in Sardis, this is what he says. He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You know what that feels like? I know what that feels like. Where it's like, You know, Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, it means that I should be doing this and living this way and doing that. And so I'm going to go through the motions 
but inside there's vacancy. You've been there, right? And what is it when someone is acting like they're alive, but they're actually dead? That's a zombie, right? That's what that is. We were talking, I was talking about this with Matt. Um, and, and, Matt, and Matt was like, oh, man, we should bring, like, zombies in for Easter. <laughs> See, you have lots of good ideas, bud. It's not one of them. <laughs> he was obviously messing around. But, like, you know, the, the zombie life, you know, is kind of like, what ha- there's the resurrection life and there's the zombie life. And, and the resurrection life is the one where we're living, there's red letters flowing through our lives and we're in the presence of God. And we're living in a dynamic relationship with God. But the zombie life is the one where it's like, we acknowledge that Christ rose from the dead. It's in the scriptures. I guess I believe it go to church, you know, uh, you know, and then go over here and do whatever I'm supposed to do. And I'm like living like the walking dead, you know, and it's like, I'll do go through the motions, but underneath of it, there's no life. Where's the vitality? I thought we were in love with the risen savior and he was alive and he's still speaking to me today. But it's like the relics of a theology that is just a shell left over from 2000 years ago. As if Easter happened once then and, and, and then he like died again or disappeared or something. And why do we struggle to experience the red letters? Why do we struggle to experience and know Christ? Because we have all these concerns in our lives that we get hung up on, right? And we don't sit with Christ because we, we still try to live our own lives and there's no space for Christ. There's no imagination for Christ. Mary walks into this tomb and when she walks into the tomb, there are two angels sitting there, an empty cloth. And what did she think happened? Somebody tell me. Sorry, so, so, yeah, she thought somebody stole it. What did she have to use to come up with that idea? What did she have to use to come up with that idea? Did anybody tell her that? She had to use her imagination. She had to use her imagination to figure out that someone stole the body. The imaginations of men and of women, as Romans tell us, they're inclined toward evil when Jesus is absent. And so her, she goes into darkness. She's deceived. Every thought she has, every imagination she has, it goes the wrong way. Have you ever been in a situation where something happened and someone interpreted it to be something really bad and it turns out it wasn't bad at all? You know? I don't know. I mean, this is like, that's my everyday job as a pastor. That's what I do every day. Like, is someone calling me with some sort of problem because they think something's going on? And I call them, oh, no, that's not what it was about. This is what it was about. And they're like, oh. Yeah, because our, you know, our imaginations are inclined toward evil instead of inclined toward good. Okay? And so we imagine things that aren't reality. We don't imagine the good. And so when she looks in the tomb and sees an empty tomb, two angels, claws lying there, she never thinks, man, he must have risen from the dead. Instead, she's like, who stole the body? I'm going to kill him, you know, like that's, that's, and that's the way we react. She turns around and Jesus is there and she has to imagine a gardener, you know, remember those two thieves on the cross. One imagines him as a hypocrite and looks at him and he says, what are you doing, man? Oh, big Messiah, get off the cross if you can and take me off with you. But the other one has the faith to imagine. And he sees a crown on his head and a sign above his head that says King of the Jews. And when he sees it, he doesn't see a criminal. He doesn't see a hypocrite. He sees the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And no one had told him he was a king. He had the imagination, the faith to see it. And Jesus said today, this very day you will be with me in paradise. 
As a matter of fact, you're already stepping into it because you can see. You know, and this is this is what's going on with Mary. She can't see. And all the time, our imaginations get smaller and smaller because we're trying to control our lives. And we have all these fears and concern. What are the fears and concerns that we struggle with? One of them, I know this, is that we just we don't think it'll ever come to fruition. That whatever it is that God promises, that it'll never actually come to fruition, that God won't be there all the way through the end with us. And, th- and this is why this is why he says this. He, you know, he's, this is the last thing that he says. This is what he says. When he's holding all the darkness of the world, when he's carrying all of our sins, you know, he says, into your hands. He carries every ounce of our sin, every ounce of our darkness. And even in the midst of that, after it's all finished, after it's all said and done, when there's only darkness left, he still has hope, doesn't he? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Because he realizes there's never a moment to not have hope. And if he already carried all of our sorrows and he already carried all of our burdens, why should we not have hope? What should we be worried about? You know, and then, and then Romans 8 tells us this. It says, you were not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship. And by him, by that spirit, this Holy Spirit, this spirit that was given into the Father's hands as Jesus was passing is now given to us. And it's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of sonship, which means we have been adopted as his sons. And he says, and by that spirit, his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Daddy. Daddy, he is always present with us. There is always hope. We always have a father and he is here for us. Let it go. No fear. He will always come through. What else do we struggle with? This is one right here, right? We talked about this last week. How much do we struggle with this one right here? That there's work to be done. That I still have to do this. I still have to do that. I got to take care of this. There's no room to hear Jesus. I'm still working my tail off. I can't stop to listen to the red letters. And after a while, we're like, where's God? And he's like, where have you been? You're the one who's been like running around trying to take care of the world. You just stopped being able to listen to my voice. But I told you, it's finished. You know, this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 9, that he died once. And once he dies once, he doesn't die again. It's all over. We don't have to work anymore. That's why Hebrews 4 says, enter into the rest. What are we afraid of? Running around trying to take care of everything he's already taken care of. How about this one? You know how much we eat in America? (laughs) We're like bears getting ready for hibernation. Except hibernation never comes, you know? Like tomorrow is always hibernation. And we're always getting ready for it. As if the bread basket's going to run out. Or how much we drink in America. I love to see like in, in, uh, in Western Europe and in the U.S. how much alcohol is consumed in a day, you know? Wow. You know, between, between food and drink or whatever else, you know, we, are, we can throw it down. We could set the records, you know. We entertain ourselves. Oh, we entertain ourselves. Because why? There's a vacancy inside. There's a yearning inside. We need to eat more. We need to drink more. We need to entertain more. We need to satisfy ourselves. There's this deep yearning, this lack of satisfaction. And you know what Philippians 3 says to us? It says, many live as enemies of the cross. Many live as enemies of the cross. And this is what it says, is that those who are enemies of the cross, their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame, which means that we shape our lives around our stomach, around our yearning, around the things that we still feel like we need. But the thing is, is he thirsted already so that we don't have to thirst. 
See, he thirsted, and what he offers to us is he says in Isaiah, what he says in Isaiah, he says, guess what? You spend all your money on what does not satisfy. And you reach for what spoils. But come to me, and I will give you food that never spoils, and you will sup on the richest of foods. And he tells us that he's the living water, and we can drink anytime you want. You know, Jen and I have found that sometimes when we'd like to just chill at night and go through any normal entertainment routine and, you know, pound some ice cream or, you know, do whatever it is we're going to do that night, that every now and then it's really important, actually pretty regularly, to set that aside and to get into the Word together and to say, he said that he can satisfy our deepest thirst. And right now at the end of the day when I'm spent and I'm tired and I just want to relax, maybe if I learn to go to Christ that I'll find a deeper level of refreshment and satisfaction. And it's all done. It's all finished. And maybe I'll find red letters if I look. How about this one? You know this one, right? We fear rejection of people. We fear not being enough, not being accepted. But he was rejected so we don't have to. We spend our time worrying, caring about what others think. And we don't have to. We don't have to. The one who's the judge of all, the one who's the coolest of all, the most powerful of all, whatever. He loves us. He cares. He was rejected so that we can be accepted. You worry about your family? I do sometimes. Your friends? You ever worry about them? About whatever's going on in the government or in the world today or whatever, how that's going to affect my kids, how the economy, I have friends who are trying to get a job, how they're going to do it in a failed economy, you know, uh, health care, how's that going to affect parents in older age and, you know, all of those things we can worry and concern. But Jesus says to somebody, come follow me. And they said, let me go and bury my parents first. Let me take care of them until they die. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. You come and follow me. He doesn't say that we're to neglect our family, that we're not supposed to care or anything like that. But what he does is he shows us that when he's hanging on a cross in the darkest hour, that he'll take care of mom, he'll take care of brother, he'll take care of everyone else. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the red letters of Christ. He will take care of our family. The best thing I can do for my family is not to sit there and worry about them, but to worry about connecting with Jesus. All right. You ever worried about the afterlife? about what will happen. We carry guilt. You know, we carry guilt from our sin. And there's punishment for our sin. And we know it. We know that we've messed up. And we know that when we mess up, there's consequences for that. And many of us, we fear about death. You know, what's going to happen afterwards? There's, you know, lately people want to believe in annihilism, so it's over. Because then you don't have to worry about anything, you know? But the truth is, is there is an afterlife. And we should be worried about it unless Jesus dies on a cross for us. And once he dies on a cross for us and we receive it, And today, we can be with him in paradise. And it's all taken care of. We don't have to worry about death or separation from him. So all these things, I mean, he takes care of our eternity. He takes care of our family. He takes care of our acceptance. He takes care of uh, of the, the deepest yearnings of my soul. He finishes all of the work. He gives me all the hope. It's all there for the, for, the, for the receiving. But there's one thing that I need to do in order to step in to receiving all of that. And the first thing is that I need to receive forgiveness. Because I'm like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where I may experience the red letters. I might have walked with Christ in the Garden, but then there's this thing about myself I know, that I, that I failed him. And so I hide behind the leaves and I knit together all the leaves that we call shame. 
And we're sitting here in our shame and we can't access God. And while he's all around us and he's risen and he's alive and he's saying, why are you crying? I have a hard time because I can't really receive it because there's still the shame of my sin. But when he got on that cross, before he showed us that he would take care of our families and he would take care of eternity and he would take care of all the yearnings of our soul, before all of that, he said something that we needed to hear in order for us to be able to receive all the rest of it. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if we will receive that forgiveness, the only thing that's left anymore is a risen Savior who's standing right there, and he's saying, so why are you still crying? You know, why are you still crying? I've taken care of every fear, of every concern you could possibly have, everything that you guys have messed up in the church, you know, everything that you guys have messed up in your lives. He's speaking it to us. Everything that we've done, you know, to turn it all upside down. He says, I see it. I've redeemed it. I died for it. And I even spoke to each one of them. And they're gone. It's time to let them go and to live in the reality of the living Lord. Which one of those concerns, which one of those worries, which one of those fears today is keeping us from experiencing the living God? Which one is limiting our imagination the way Mary Magdalene's imagination couldn't receive the fact that Jesus was standing right in front of her? Because one of them is making it struggle for us. You know, one of them is a struggle for us. And so he speaks to us right now today, Christian, church, whatever. He speaks to us the same phrase that he spoke to Mary. Why are we crying? Who are we looking for? I'm alive. I'm right there. Nothing has to change anymore. I don't have to die again. I don't have to rise again. I'm right here with you. I am close to you. I am in your mouth, is what the scriptures say. I am in your heart, and I am in your mouth. The red letter words of Christ are ready to be spoken to our heart and are ready to come out of our mouths if we will be open to receive and be a channel of the presence of the living God. The last thing that he says to her is he says, don't hang on to me, Mary. Don't touch me. I'm going to my dad. This is what I want you to do instead. I want you to go to the brothers and I want you to tell them I'm going to my dad and to their dad, to my God and to their God. But I don't want you to touch me. Instead, I want you to go and tell them. And this is why he says that. It's because Mary's used to relating him by being able to touch him and being able to see him. But now she won't be able to do that anymore. And he says, this is, this is the new way we relate. We don't relate physically. You don't see me with your eyes. We relate spiritually and you experience me with your heart and with your spirit. And so now what you need to do, instead of sitting here trying to grab onto me with your hands or behold me with your eyes, you need to go to your brothers and sisters and you need to encourage each other all the more as the day is approaching. Spur one another on to faith. Remind each other that Christ is alive, that he's here with us today, that even though we theologically know that, that it is time for us to live as if Christ is alive and we are walking with him. So he says, Mary, instead of standing here with me holding on to a shell of something you used to know, begin to experience a new way of relating to me that she'll experience in the fullness in in Acts chapter 2 when Pentecost happens and the Spirit comes and Jesus is alive within them. And he says, and this is what I want you to do. Go and tell them. And she goes and she gets them and she says, he's alive. He's alive. And that's our job now. Easter every day. That's what a church is. We look at each other. Hey, guess what? I know that life is terrible and I can't, I have no idea what's going on, but Jesus is alive. 
And this little gospel that could seem so trite, I'm telling you, it's not just me speaking it. It's the red letters of Jesus himself because he's standing right there inside your heart and on the tip of your tongue and he's just waiting for your imagination to believe it's true because Christ is risen. Christ is risen and so are we. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your resurrection. It has brought us life. We're forever grateful and, and, and literally forever grateful all of eternity, grateful. And uh, we thank you that eternity doesn't start when we die, that it started when you rose from the dead, that it started well before that. I mean, it's eternity. There's no start. There's no end. It's for all time. And we thank you that Mary awoke that day to your presence, and we ask that we would awake every day to your presence. In the name of Jesus, amen. things.
now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory both now and forever. Amen. Happy Easter. God bless you. Go in peace. Oh, yeah. If you, need, if you can stick around, anybody.